In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about the regenerative ratio, making half-human, half-animal hybrids, doing science, and choosing yikes over Republicans in our discussion of Down Among the Sticks and Bones by Shannon McGuire. Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult, and sometimes other, books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss Down Among the Sticks and Bones by Shannon Maguire. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book, then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yay! Yay! How good a title is this book, by the way? So good. So good. Just have to throw that one straight in there. Yes. Yes. Is that your initial thought? Um, well, that and freaking loved it, but okay, there we go. I'm going to jump ahead a bit. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. I do have some background info. It's from that same Nerdist article as last time. Ah, the one you fell into that hole. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. So this time I have pulled out a little section about this book. And... Shannon says, the closest to an autobiographical character in this series, in a lot of ways, is a girl named Jack Wolcott. Jack is short for Jacqueline, and she's the first character I've written with obsessive compulsive disorder that manifests in a way similar to my own. We meet Jack and her sister Jill in the first book, and their names are intentionally twee. I did not do that by mistake. Jack and Jill went through their magical door and in their portal world went to basically the setting of a Hammer horror film. Like you expect Peter Cushing to step around a wall at any moment. (laughs) And they spent their time in this black and white world. They got separated there. Jill wound up being the daughter of a vampire and Jack wound up working for a mad scientist. Then they got dumped back out and wound up at the school. So there's the summary. Okay, and now we're at the discussion. That that was a great summary, actually. <laughs> yeah, do we right? need anything more? Jeez. Yes, we do. We have to dive deep into this one because my initial thought is it's my favourite one. Well, it being only the second one I've read, yes, it is my favourite so far. <laughs> they're so good, though. They're all They're all so different, too. So it's fun. This is a really fun series for us to cover, I think. Because yes, they're all um, vastly different. You wore your book too, but it's, it's it's an exciting book club series to cover as well. Yes. Make sure you join our Discord so you can talk about this book with us. It's yes. really fun. Yes. Really fun. I've made a link on in- our Instagram. If you go to the stories, there's a permanent story that just says Discord. There's literally one thing in there, and it's the link to Discord. So if you click on it, we'll see you. Or from the other app. <laughs> yes. Yay. Okay. Well, let's just let's just jump in. Let's yeah. Let's jump in. Let's, let's, let's tumble. Let's tumble in. Let's tumble into the, the story. door. Open the door and let's uh, step through. Yes. Be sure. Chester and Serena Walcott are very serious people who haven't ever had 
any interest in having children. They're far too untidy. Until they both do all of a sudden. All the men at Chester's firm will be very impressed, as will all the ladies in Serena's charitable foundations. They immediately get pregnant and have not one, but two perfect children. Though, when they learned they were having twins, they of course wanted one boy and one girl. But instead, they had two baby girls, Jacqueline and Jillian. The babies are too much for Serena to handle, and, well, Chester is a man and therefore doesn't have anything to do with them. So they call Chester's mother to come care for the children, but pretend she is a nanny and or too frail to care for herself on her own, and they tell everyone they are charitably supporting her. Oh, aren't they just such nice people? They're so nice. As the girls grow, Chester and Serena force them into boxes. Jacqueline seems timid, so she's the girly one and made to wear frilly dresses and is never permitted to get dirty. Gillian seemed more rambunctious one time, so she's the tomboy. They cut her hair into a pixie cut and buy her jeans. After the girls turn five, Chester and Serena send the girls' grandmother away, assuming they can handle everything now, even though they have never done anything loving for their children. And I, as a parent, laugh. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We've got it now. They're five. They're practically adults. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Idiots. The girls continue to grow into the people their parents force them to be. Jacqueline is the pretty one that everyone fawns over, and Jillian is the sporty one, though she wishes that people would fawn over her, too. The girls spend a lot of their time hating each other because they each want what the other has. One day, when the girls are 12, it's pouring down rain outside, and Jillian gets bored. After some pestering, Jillian convinces Jacqueline to go to the attic to play with their grandmother's old costume trunk. And I just really want to go and play in that trunk. (laughs) So much. There's like pirate swords in there. I really want to play in this trunk. Yes, yes. But instead of finding dress-up clothes and props, they find a stairwell that leads down, down, down to a doorway with a sign on it that says be sure they go through on the other side of the door the girls encounter a huge field under a blood red moon they don't know it yet but they are in the moors they run and explore and enjoy themselves for a little while but then they realize the door is gone and they have to figure out what to do there are a few different ways they can go and jacqueline lets jillian choose There are mountains and a sea, but instead of going toward either one of those, they keep going through the moors until they fall down a hill and tumble into a wall. In the wall is a gate, and Jacqueline knocks on it. The doors open, and the girls are greeted by a tall, pale man with blood-red lips. They apologize for disturbing him and explain that they were in their house and found stairs that led to a door that led them here, and they don't know where they are. The man asks if the door said to be sure, and if they were before they went through. They both tell him no, which he appreciates, because it is not a lie. After asking their names, the man takes Jacqueline and Jillian, or Jack and Jill, as he calls them, which their parents never permitted, to his huge castle to get something to eat. 
Inside, the man tells Jack and Jill that he is the master of the moors and they will be permitted to stay with him in safety for three days. But after the third moon rise, they will follow the rules and behave as everyone else in the moors. As they enter the dining room, the master calls for his maid to get dinner for the girls and asks another servant to call Dr. Bleak. Mary brings two dinners, one that looks very rare and bloody and one that is simpler, and Jill immediately chooses the bloody meal, which looks a lot like the master's meal. Jill seems enthralled by this place and the master, but Jack is more curious. At first, the master seemed very interested in Jack because of her girliness and beauty, but now... He seems more intrigued by Jill. Dr. Bleak arrives shortly after the meal begins, and the two men discuss which girl they will keep. Um, what? Huh? Wait, what? No. What? That's no one, bad. no one's keeping anyone. Um, two bad girls. Sorry. <laughs> Dr. Bleak explains that it could be a very long time before they're able to get their door and that he and the master have agreed to care for the foundlings when they arrive, in their own ways, of course. The master tells them that they will want for nothing, and Dr. Bleak says he will teach them, but they will have to work hard. For now, though, they have three days with the master. The first night with the master, Jack tells Jill that she wants to go with Dr. Bleak. But Jill says she wants to stay with the master and that they don't always have to do whatever Jack wants, which has, you know, never actually happened before. But Jill just seems to want to be petulant. Jack is worried because she doesn't think Jill understands that the master isn't all he seems to be. So she tells her sister that they don't have to stay together, which hurts Jill's feelings a little. The next day, Mary comes to wake the girls for breakfast. Instead of eating, Jack decides to go straight down and tell Dr. Bleak that she wants to come with him. Mary tells her that she'll be saving her sister a lot of pain and grief if she goes with Dr. Bleak because the master would just toy with Jill for their three days of sanctuary before choosing to keep Jack, which would break Jill's heart. When Jack makes her choice, the master asks Dr. Bleak why he shouldn't just kill her. But Dr. Bleak explains that the master might need Jack to draw parts from... If something were to happen to Jill. Oh. What? That sounds terrible. But the master relents. What does that even mean? Uh, okay. 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 Spare parts. (laughs) When Jill finishes her breakfast and Jack's too she tells mary she wants to go see the master to tell him she'd like to stay with him mary tells her she is no longer as a new choice which makes jill mad just because jack chose first jill gets no choice at all well it doesn't matter because she chose to stay with the master when she first saw him and she tells him that he tells her she will want for nothing and will have the finest tailors and tutors then smiles at her with a mouthful of sharp white teeth Bitey bitey. Jack follows Dr. Bleak across the moors for an exhaustingly long time. He tells her that the moors are dangerous at night and pushes her to continue in a strict but kind manner. They finally arrive at a giant windmill that Dr. Bleak calls home, and now Jack will too. He tells her not to touch anything she doesn't understand and to ask questions. 
He appreciates when she says she doesn't know any questions yet, but she does know that he will give her the answers, so she'll just have to put everything together later. She asks for more practical clothes and to get cleaned up, so he gives her a trunk of clothing to choose from and a kettle to fill from the well for a bath. He gives her two hours to figure out what to do and heads back out onto the moors. When he returns, Jack has cleaned herself and the tub and is ready to learn. Jill, meanwhile, is led into an exquisite bathing pool that looks fit for a mermaid. She luxuriates in the bubbles and oils until it is time for lunch. Before eating, though, she is dressed in a gorgeous gown and given a purple choker that she must always wear. Mary tries to warn Jill about the master clearly being a vampire, but Jill is too wrapped up in finally being the pretty pampered twin that gets to wear frilly dresses and be fawned over. She even gets to grow out her hair. If she knew her sister, who frets over being too dirty, was toiling away gathering her own bath water, would she have felt bad for her? No. No. Probably not. Probably not, because, I mean, Jill is a narcissist. She's kind of the worst. Oh, she's horrible. (laughs) A couple of years pass, and the girls change. After getting their first periods on the same day, Jack invents a way to hide the smell of the blood from the monsters on the moors, and the townswomen appreciate her, while Jill bleeds out comfortably in her mermaid bathing pool. The master finally reveals his teeth to her, and she is finally allowed to remove her choker for him. I don't like that at all. No, it's... 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 No. It's... It's queasy. It's, it's grooming. Yeah, it is. She becomes his daughter in all but name. Jill is on her way to an immortal life as a vampire, while Jack learns to create immortality through science. She and Dr. Bleak bring a beautiful girl back to life with lightning, and that girl, Alexis, brings Jack to life with a kiss. Both Jack and Jill know that they are finally home and that they never want to go back through their door. I just love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Well, another couple of years later, after spending a rousing time with Alexis, Jack is called by Dr. Bleak to go to town for some supplies. Night will be coming quickly, but Dr. Bleak knows that the girls will be safe on their way to and from town because vampires won't bother them. Alexis, because she's died and been resurrected, and for some magically scientific reason, that means she can't become a vampire, and Jack, because her sister is very nearly a vampire, and she'll be reminded that her twin exists and that they are both living human girls. She's a I like, spare I she like that. Live. I like that we don't mention that, even though that's clearly what's going on. Yeah. We don't mention that Jack is just spare parts. She's yeah. leftovers. Well, I'll save it for the discussion. I'll save okay. it for the discussion. Okay. Okay. Jack and Alexis walk to the village, hand in gloved hand, soft and buxom with taut and thin. And Alexis talks of her desires to touch and be touched by Jack without gloves and excessive bathing. But Jack's mother taught her to be terrified of dirt before she could even spell her name. And unfortunately, this is just how she is now. They make it to the village and are allowed to pass through the gate. Jill, up on the battlements of her castle, stares down at them. Her master has said that he will not make her a vampire until she is an adult. So she has two more years that she must wait. 
Seeing her sister with the fat girl from the village makes her angry. Yeah, well, we're angry at you, Jill. Yeah. Oh, I get so mad. Oh. Jack and Alexis sit to eat dinner with Alexis's family in their inn, but suddenly the door bursts open and Jill comes inside, mocking Jack for coming to stuff her face with her fat friend instead of coming to see her, her sister. Jack sees that Alexis and her family are terrified, so she apologises for her crankiness and placates her sister, suggesting that they go shopping for Dr. Bleak's supplies together and offering to buy her something pretty. Oh, you can buy something pretty for me, sister, the terrifying daughter of the master. (sighs) Yeah, and you definitely should want to buy things for me because I'm so nice and kind to you and everyone else. Jill is not accustomed to paying or respecting anyone in the village, so she's awful to everyone while Jack tries to maintain her relationship with the shopkeepers. Jill flounces off with a handful of ribbons from one vendor, telling her that her sister will pay, but Jack doesn't have enough money. She promises to return with more money, but the vendor tells her to go away before the master notices and thinks that they're friends. Anyone who's friends with Jill or her sister seems to die because the master is a very jealous man. Jack rushes home to her windmill and straight into Dr. Bleak, who comforts her in his own way while she cries. For the next little while, Jack does extra chores instead of going to the village, and eventually Alexis starts visiting more and more often. Nothing happened to her family or to her after the night Jack and Jill had their encounter, so things seem to be back to normal. On the day marking their fifth anniversary of going through their door, Mary wakes Jill with a bouquet of red roses. Jill is excited. The master must have decided to change her, to make her his daughter and a vampire. Mary tells her this isn't so, that the master intends to wait until the start of next season to ensure that Jill is definitely 18 and therefore not at risk for her door to return. Jill gets mad at Mary. What does she know? She turned down the master's offer to make her a vampire. Mary tells Jill that she didn't want to become ruthless, and she would have if the master changed her. Jill intends to prove she can be ruthless now, so there's no need for the master to wait. Jill dresses in a cream gown and covers herself with an ugly brown cloak. She sneaks out of the castle toward the inn, knowing that Alexis will be heading to the windmill to see Jack soon. She sees Alexis kiss her mother goodbye and leave through the gates, carrying a basket of apples and bread and wine. Jill follows and reaches for Alexis's shoulder. She turns, thinking Jill is Jack, until she realizes she's not. Jill throws her cloak to the ground and pulls a knife from the bodice of her dress. Jack is worried about Alexis. She's never late. I don't think anybody in the moors knows what lateness is. Because it's like, it risks your life. Yeah. Dr. Bleak knows that being late in the moors, it's not an innocent thing, but tells Jack she can go look for Alexis, but to be sure to return to do her chores before her anniversary festivities come again. Jack sees red and knows that nothing red grows in the moors. She's sees a spilled basket with red apples and bread. She wants to gather the items, not wanting to waste anything and not wanting to look at the cause of all the red. 
but she can't tell if the apples are clean enough to pick up. Soon, Dr. Bleak arrives and offers to try to resurrect Alexis again, knowing that a second resurrection could create a monster, but Jack wants to try. He carries the body back to the windmill and sends Jack off to retrieve her love's missing heart. Oh, Oh, I hate that chapter so much. It is horrible and it's horribly beautiful and beautifully horrible. Yes, it's heart-wrenching. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not sorry. Jack follows a trail of blood through the gates of the village and hears a ruckus inside. The villagers are shouting at someone, calling them a witch, a beast, a monster. Jill stands opposite of the crowd with arms crossed, covered in red like gloves, saying that they can't talk to her that way because she belongs to the master. Mary arrives then and tells the crowd they can do with Jill what they will because she killed someone without the master's permission and without being a vampire. Even though he rules the villagers and even drinks their blood, he must also protect them from wrongful death. The master has revoked his protection over Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Jack could leave her sister to the mob, but deep down she still loves her because Alexis taught her how to love, so she rushes to Jill and grabs her hand. Together they run to the windmill. Dr. Bleak hears them coming, covers Alexis's body and grabs a cloth. When the sisters arrive, Dr. Bleak knocks Jill out with the chloroformed cloth, then grabs a machine and a jar of lightning and heads to the back door of the windmill. He tells Jack that he's sending them back where they came from because, of course, he has harnessed the power of the doors. He's a scientist! Duh! Come on! He doesn't want to send Jack away, but he knows the master will burn the village to the ground if they kill his almost daughter, even though he revoked his protection over her. Dr. Bleak tells Jack that she should wait a year to come back and that she can open the door with blood on her hands, hers or her sister's, but that if she does come back, it must be alone or with her sister's corpse. Jill cannot come back the way she is now. The door opens and the sisters both run. Jack carries a still unconscious Jill up the long staircase until she stirs and asks where they are. Jack drops her sister and tells her they're on the stairs and that the Moors kicked them out. Jill tries to turn back, but it's no use. The door is gone and the stairs are disappearing. Jack opens the lid of the trunk that they climbed into five years ago and the sisters exit into the attic that still smells faintly like their grandmother. When the lid closes, Jill panics and digs through the costumes and props, trying to find the stairs. But they're gone. The sisters huddle together and go downstairs to find their mother and father and an impeccably clean young boy sitting around a dinner table. Okay, uh, everyone, take a break. Go do listen. some science. Yes, yes, listen to this promo for another show and then come back. No, actually, everyone, everyone go log into the Discord. 
and tell us what you think. That's your assignment. You have to do it. Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guest and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your your podcast. And now back to the show. Anywho, I was busy making weird noises. <sighs> well now, how freaking amazing was this one? It's so good. It's so good. But like, I hate liked the beginning of it. Well, you know? Before we start getting into the discussion of what actually happened, I'm going to tell you I was worried, knowing like as it ends start starts, knowing this is going to be Jack and Jill's story, I was worried I was going to be sympathetic towards Jill, given the fact that she's a murderous psycho in the first book. I was worried I was going to develop a sympathy for her, and I was like, I don't want to like her. Please don't make me like this character. Knowing what happens, no. no. Thankfully, don't worry. didn't happen. Jill's a <laughs> Don't cycle. worry. It's fine. It's fine. She's so, terrible. It's fine. It is. Let's start at her birth. <laughs> yes. Um, I. It was so interesting getting to know them as kids because we already met them and we know them really well in the first book. And so getting to travel back in time a little bit to see how they were as kids, like it kind of explains a lot. Yeah. You know, why they are the way they are? Because their parents are fucking terrible. Oh, you can tell the Republicans. Oh, my God. Yeah, they definitely 100% are Republicans. And that's it's just a nightmare. Just forcing them into those tiny boxes. But they, like, they don't actually know their children at all. The fact that they did it at such a young age as well. Like, you can imagine they've, they've never seen the children for probably months. And they finally catch a glimpse of them and one of them is just doing something mucky and the other one's having it twirling around. As children are want to do. Yeah. And like, right, okay, now we know that one's a tomboy and that one is a debutante. That's it. It's like, no, no. 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 And even if they were that day for that you know, thirty second glimpse. For that second. Come, <laughs> like, back to, come back five seconds later, and I bet the rules have reversed. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I yeah. also really, yeah. Ugh. I really, um, I liked learning about what actually happened, which is something that we talked about a little bit in the first episode of this series. Finding out what actually happened to them in the moors because jack and jill both tell very different stories of what happened mm. to them while they were there and so now we get to actually see what it was that happened and what happened was a fucking nightmare like you could kill anyone you could kill anyone joe why would you choose to kill alexis why she was amazing she wow. was delightful why would you kill her just jill is just full of jealousy isn't she She's a narcissist who has to be the centre of attention and she was not Jack's world. 
I mean, just the. It was the bit when they're trying to decide when after after they come into the moors, and they're staying with the master, and Jill's. Being a petulant little bitch. And she's like, well, I want to be with the master. I want this. I want that. I never get whatever I want. And I'm, I was I was baking at the time. I listened to this while I was baking. And at one point I was kneading the door and Jill was doing this petulant routine. And I was properly hammering the door. And I was like, you're just being horrible. You're being an awful person. You always get what you want. Jack never gets it. <laughs> The turned out the the bread turned out wonderful, but <laughs> it was just like it was so in, infuriating, and then obviously living under the master, it just feeds it. It just yeah. constantly feeds it that hatred and that self centered psychopath. Yes. Mm. I feel like this is this is probably the one time just based on the characters not not the actual outcome of it. But this is the one time that I would choose not to become a vampire. Yes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh my yeah. god. I was worried when I when, when, when if, if I confess that you'd be like, "What?" But no, this is not this is not the sparkly vampire I'm, I'm interested in, you know. No. No. And I mean, I'm sure that the master is Fine, and he seems he seems like a very stereotypical vampire, which is fine. And that I would I would be that kind of vampire, sure. That's okay. But Jill just had to fucking ruin it. I don't want to be like Jill. I know I know that when we hit this part in the summary, you know, and she's she's got to wear this choker all the time, and she finally gets to take it off, and she's very excited because she thinks that you know she's going to become a vampire now. And we're like, nah, no, not yet. We still got to wait for your season, you know, just to make sure, just to make sure that you're 18. I appreciated that. And I know that it sounds a little creepy, but I, I never got like a, like a sexual sort of vibe from oh, the master. No, it, it was very much, well, it was established that he had wives. He had them, but. Jill was never going to be a wife. She was going to be a yes. daughter. Yes. And they very much seemed to be... I mean, I know I said grooming, and there was very much a grooming situation. Oh, definitely. Sexual grooming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it worked a little bit too well with Jill. She's too desperate yeah. for it as well. Well, she's very pliable, which is unfortunate in this case. She doesn't have... I don't. I feel like she's probably never had her own personality because she's always had her sister to share with. So now she's just like, okay, well, I've got a new person that can tell me what to do and tell me like. And her parents never let her do anything that she actually wanted to do, so she's used to it. So yeah, just just tell me everything she that I'm supposed to do. She doesn't know how to be an individual. No, she doesn't, she doesn't know how to no. be a, a person and have herself. It's just like the type of person who need who is completely dependent on a relationship that we've had in books before. Mm. We're like, you know what? Actually, you shouldn't be jumping from person to person. You need to not have a relationship, and you need to learn to love yourself and find out who you are at this point, not who yeah. you are when attached to somebody. And I'm particularly thinking the House of Night series. Mm. Um, that that really stand out stood out to me when we were complaining that Zoe was going from one boyfriend to another. She needed time alone. 
yeah. all this time alone where she's not being groomed by an authority figure to be yes. something that she is not. So her parents were grooming yes. her to be a tomboy, but a very conservative tomboy as well because, you know, Republican assholes. Sure. But the master's grooming her to be this vicious, ruthless killer. But to be fair, we didn't see a lot of interaction between Jill and the master. Jill, for me had an image of what she needed to be what the master is she knows he essentially rules by fear so she wanted other people the villagers of the moors to be scared of her but she only knew how to do it in one particular way it's almost yeah. like she's read interview with a vampire or she's seen the movie and she's like that's me you know i'm, I'm yes. kirsten stewart and it's like yeah. Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst. No, <laughs> no, please, please totally don't be Kristen Stewart. Movies. Don't Very be Kristen Stewart. No, yeah. no, no, yeah, Kirsten no, Dunst. no, it's terrible. What? What's the character's name? It's gone out of my head. Claudia. Claudia. Yeah. She's so she's just she's decided to be Claudia. Yeah, she's a little brat. Being told to be Claudia. Yes. In my opinion, it's anyway. terrible. In my opinion, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's terrible. Um, so obviously, I mean, if we have to choose a twin, we're obviously picking Jack over Jill, which we would have, and we did in the first one as well. Yeah. But there's there's one scene in this one that really, I I did not like it. I did not like it at all, and that's when. Jack and Alexis are together and they've clearly they've just been intimate with each other and Alexis is like you know I just I just want to be with you without having to wear gloves and without having to bathe so much beforehand and I real that was really off-putting to me that Jack is like forcing Alexis to bathe before she'll even touch her with gloves on and I just it rubbed me the wrong way I didn't yeah. like it. I didn't like it at all. But I res- I respect that Jack has this OCD where, you know, she doesn't like anything dirty. But I didn't like that. It put a really bad taste in my mouth. I can see um, it's an extreme case of an OCD where Jack would benefit from medical intervention to, you know, normalize um, her brain chemistry in that instance. Yeah. Um. But I actually also appreciate the fact that it's there because people suffer from OCD. And yes. it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm so OCD over this. It's like, you're not. Yeah, no, like, stop you know, saying that. Don't say that. Don't say it. Because, I mean, I know people with actual OCD as well. And it, it can be debilitating. Yes. Um, and like I say, with a, with a, when it's not regulated through medication or therapy and or therapy, it can be debilitating. And I can imagine Jack, I mean, how Jack manages in the moors, digging up corpses and really getting her hands dirty, or at least gloves dirty. I can, I, the fact that Jack can push through it is amazing, but it's probably not helping. Um, no. Well, and... and I, I can appreciate Alexis not liking it and wanting that like actual skin-to-skin contact. I can appreciate that as well. Mm-hmm. But you remember... 
even before they went to the moors, Jack was treated as the debutante with the frilly, big, puffy dresses. She'll have probably had to wear gloves at all times as well. She'll have been forced because I can imagine that leftover mentality that you can't have skin-to-skin contact with somebody because it's just not the way. It's not done. It's not Gentlemen wear hats and cravats and women must wear gloves and a smile on her face at all times. But at least the dresses have pockets. Um, So yeah, I can I can see where it's been it it can leave a bad taste but I can also think uh, I appreciate the, the representation of it. Yes, I appreciate the representation of it as well, but I don't like that. I I felt like Alexis was forced to do something that she probably didn't want to do, and so I don't I don't like that. I don't like that part of it. Yeah, I agree, but I like to think that there was a conversation that was off page, where it's like, well, if we're going to be intimate, if we're going to be doing this, the only way we can do it is if this happens. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that and that, that does compromise. happen. She does say like I'm this is the way that I am and I'm and I'm sorry. But deal with it. And that's fine. Um yeah. the scene... I mean, at the same time you've got to remember that Alex Alexis was like <laughs> I I recently read a book and it's actually going to be the book I'm I'm recommending later on where there's intimacy with a resurrected corpse and i'm like damn is this is this a form of necrophilia and they were dead you know they were they were dead and now they're quote-unquote living again yeah so i mean there's an ick factor there and then if you have ocd or if you're germaphobe ocd i don't know I, i just I'm just I'm just questions. I'm just surprised that Jack hasn't figured out a way to make things work for her because there's there's a conversation with Alexis about like how can you, you know, dig in the dirt? How can you touch all those plants? And he's like she's like, "Well, it's, you know, it's not me. It's my gloves. My gloves are touching this." And then with the dirt, like, "Well, the dirt is where it's supposed to be." So it's okay. It's okay that I'm touching dirt because this is what dirt is supposed to be doing. But if we're in a different location, if we're touching dirt in a different way, that's not so good. And I have to get cleaned up immediately. But like, this is what dirt is supposed to be doing. So it's okay. I'm just surprised that she hasn't figured out a way to make their intimacy make sense in her brain. That like, this is okay. This is how it's supposed to be. I think she'll be on her way to it. I do think she'll be on her way to it. But, yeah. you know, it's one hurdle to overcome at the time. I'm just, I'm over the moon that Jack was able to work out how to deal with the menstrual blood and not be scared for at least a week every month when she's walking well, yeah. around the balls. I was able to share that with the village girls and women. Yes, yes. Which is like... Amazing. What scientists in our modern world aren't even doing that, right? Um, I there was something that I wanted. Oh no, I was thinking. I was thinking of other. I was thinking of other blood. I was thinking of other blood. That's the scene where Alexis 
has, has had her heart ripped out and there's blood everywhere. I feel like I almost would have had an emotion if, you know, I wasn't dead inside where when Jack wants to tidy everything up and she wants to make sure that like the bread is still okay the wine is still okay the apples are still okay but the apples were red and she couldn't tell if the apples were clean and so she couldn't touch them because the apples were covered in blood so she's like I can't I can't touch these because I don't know I can't tell and like that was I know I said it in the summary as a pun as a joke but that was heart-wrenching that was rough yeah yeah, it was. It was. It was probably one of the most distressing chapters I've read for a long time. Yeah, this was not an easy book. I mean, going no. in, I didn't know what to expect because I mean, I knew we're covering it, and Percy's no reason to read the summary. I know we're covering it. Um, like the 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 book summary, the blurb. Um. It's the same as what you, you, you were telling us. Um, vampire owns a restaurant and where possible. I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. I don't need to be told yeah. much to, to read yeah. the book. No. And this is book two of our book club read. I don't need to read the blurb. Anyway, so read the title, kind of inferred it was a Jack and Jill story. Very excited. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I was listening to it. I was baking. And there were many points where I was having to stop what I was doing and I'm just very methodically doing it and just having like a like, nice wellness time just you know pottering around the kitchen doing what I wanted to do where I had to stop and think cheapers this 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 is hitting me really hard this book mm-hmm. and it was it was things like the hatred Jill I don't know if it's hatred or the fact that she doesn't know how to love her sister that was hitting me yes and i don't have that experience i have a brother but you know i love my brother to bits we get on really well now that we don't live together um so it's you know i i can't relate to that but i can sympathize um jack's almost need debilitating ocd especially in that scene but then Jack and Alexis together just being so beautiful but then Jill and Mary and the absolute disregard Jill has for Mary was tough and you could tell Mary did not like Jill, did not want to work with Jill but was trying to save her and Jill was not listening so there were all these little points I was stopping and just like whoa just, yeah. I question. Jack is the quote unquote spare parts for Jill. <laughs> is she though? Is she? I would hypothesize. Let's go. Let's go, Scienty. I would hypothesize that Jill is a spare parts for Jack. Because Jack is useful, Jill is not. Yeah, I mean, it. if anything, I feel like they're spare parts for each other. But I can't imagine if something were to happen to Jill, I don't know how it would have happened because she's so pampered and 
I, I, so I can't imagine her getting injured in any way where she would need a body part replaced. And and if that did happen, I don't think the master would have accepted her anymore. No. And there's that, you know, magically scientific thing happening where once you're once you're dead, you can't become a vampire, which is fine. But like, where's the line? How many pieces do you have? How many pieces do you have to have cut off and put back on before you can't become a vampire anymore? Yeah. What What's the what's the ratio? What's What's the regenerative ratio? Yes. Um. <laughs> But also, I, I agree with you. I I think that if anyone's going to be having parts replaced, it's going to be Jack. Because, you know, she's doing science all over the place and putting herself into more dangerous sorts of situations where, you know, she might actually lose a hand or a foot or something sometimes. Well, she has... you just be out on the moors at the wrong time of night. Yeah. I... There's a werewolf. What are you going to do? Well, Jack and has th- learned through necessity to survive. Jill yeah. wouldn't spend, wouldn't be able to, because she would just stand there, stand there, stomp her feet in her Mary Jane's and be yes. screaming, I'm the master's you daughter. You, you can't, can't do eat this. Me. You can't eat me, werewolf. And he's like just chewing on stuff. Yeah. I mean, even to the end where she's... It paints Jill. It doesn't paint Jill in, in a whole new light, but I'm tempted to go back and reread um, Every Heart a Doorway just to get Jack and Jill with a greater understanding. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm tempted to do that. Yeah. But this Jill is so... I mean, I've, I've called her narcissistic, and I, and I stand by that. She's so self-absorbed that she can't even understand. She's broken one of the master's rules. He doesn't revoked any protection. He does not want her anymore. But in the first book, in Every Heart Doorway, she wants to go back to the master, and she is delusionally convinced herself that she will go back and the master will have her. Yeah. Nah, dog. And nah, 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 dog. And it's the same, like, with Nancy. Nancy was feeling the same way. You know, her lord of death or whatever he was called probably actually did want her back. So their characters were very similar in that regard, except for, you know, the complete opposite. But I think I think it's very interesting that Jill had this idea in her head of getting back to the moors where she had to Frankenstein this perfect creature to open the doors again. And, you know, Jack didn't realize it soon enough that that's what was happening. But all it took was blood. All it took was their blood on her hands to open the door. And so she could have gone back. She could have gone back any time she wanted to. But she chose not to. Because of her stupid sister. It's infuriating, isn't it? Because Jill is just so horrible. Yeah, I think that's my surprise, actually, is is that Jack chose Jill over Alexis. 
Yeah, I mean, in one hand, it's not surprising that you choose your sister, your twin sister, which is a very, it's an identical twins have the deepest connection. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, it's not surprising. But Jill's freaking awful and horrible and I hate her. And She's terrible. She is a terrible garbage person. And I'm so glad she cannot become a vampire because she's terrible She does not. She does not deserve the vampire life. She does not deserve vampirism. No. Not at um, all. But Alexis, you know, the person who showed you emotion, who gives you love, who helped you widening your community you know um, yeah it's I can't believe it it's good it's good wrenching it's really good wrenching and it's annoying and yeah. I hate it and I wish it, I, I wish it was done a different way but obviously it's been done in a perfect way as well because it's, yes definitely it would we, we we have emotions about this it's yeah it's given us a lot of thoughts and feelings yeah, yeah. But we haven't talked about Is Dr. Bleak. No, we have we not talk talked about Dr. Dr. Bleak. We I do need to talk about Dr. Dr. Bleak. Bleak. Yes. Yeah, he was he was my favorite character for sure. Sam. And I like that he cared for Jack, but he didn't coddle her at all. He taught her. He taught her what she needed to do or left her alone so she could figure stuff out on her own. But I don't think he ever would have abandoned her in any way if anything, like, serious were happening. You know, he left her at the beginning to take a bath because that's kind of an intimate thing. You don't, you're a grown man. You don't need to watch 12-year-old bathe. But I, I don't think in any, like, other situation he would have left her alone if there was no. something that could have happened to her. I think he would have been there and it I hate that he sent Jack out looking for Alexis at the end like knowing something bad probably happened but he did show up shortly thereafter so I I imagine him like lingering just out of sight waiting to come and help her when she needed it yeah he was definitely a father figure and not a father replacement, if you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. he, he was he was a guardian in the sense of teaching her, like you said, and showing mm-hmm. her the ways and the wiles and what fors. And he gave her the emotional support to the point where it was not coddling, but she knew there was the stability, and I think that's the probably the most important thing mm-hmm. that she had a constant, that she had a stable. Um, person in her life she obviously didn't have that at home you know the parents yeah. weren't ever there they yeah. stopped the grandmother who was this did, did they even realize it was their grandmother really for a long time from being their nanny so he was that he was like the he was like the uncle who takes over the guardianship and yeah you know not not replacing but is there to support yeah and I really liked I really liked Dr. Blake and Me the too. fact that he was like just very straightforward. Yeah. I all I wonder about Dr. Bleak though because you know it's been I've read all of these books but it's been a while cuz I read them like right after they come out. And now, you know, book 
9 has just come out in January and I haven't read that one yet because we're doing because we're reading these every month so I'm saving that one but I haven't read you know book three book four book five I haven't read them in such a long time and so I'm I I I question I can't remember I question he says I'm a scientist of course I know how to use the doors but does he know how to use everyone's doors or does he only know how to use the doors from the moors that's that is an excellent quest um thought and it's it's one that i had as well um i also want to know this is another thing that might be revealed in the future because i have not read these before uh, these are my year-long latest party books <laughs> yeah. um does he resurrect alexis again and does she come back monstrous? I am not going to respond to that in either I don't way. Want you to. And I, I don't am want looking you to. down because I don't want you to know. I don't want to know. So we should I, will move fi- on. I will find out. It is a question that I have yes. that I want to find out. Just the same as I want to see Jill go absolutely batshit local when she finds out she can't be a vampire and the master is disgusted at the reanimated corpse standing before him. I want to see yes. that. Yes. I want that to happen. Something um, something yeah. that I loved about this book is that, you know, Jack and Jill I, I love I love them as characters, you know, Jack obviously more than Jill, but you know at the end of book 1 that Jack opens the door and goes back so you know there's going to be at least another scene another book another chapter even another little bit of information about them being in the moors so you know you have that sort of stuff to look forward to yeah and he dr bleak tells jack not to come back for a year because that's how long it takes for the mob mentality to blow over. That's how long it takes for them to put their pitchforks down. Behind them at the pitchforks and the yes. burning torches. Yeah, you can, they're just, just like reaching the, oh, it's in the umbrella stand. Get your burning yeah. torch. Yeah. 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 So we know, we know that they have to go back, obviously, yes. because Jack opened up the door. So you know that you're going to see something, and something is going to happen. But also there's other stuff that is mentioned in this book, specifically the werewolves, that you don't really see anything about. And also the Kraken. There was yeah, there was there was the ocean. There was this like scary, terrifying ocean. So you think like there's more to the Moors. Yes. We want to see this tiny little Yes. A tiny little bit. And it was, I'm so glad that in the background information, um, it was like the Hammer House of Horror yes. feel. Because yeah. instantly, as soon as the door opened up, it was like, you know, um, The Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to technicolor, except it was the other yes. way around. It goes from technicolor yes. to black and white. And you just kind of got this grainy. My inner imagination as the book was being read out and the audio book was being done and i'm imagining it in my head which apparently people don't some people don't do weird um it was completely 
Hammer House of Horror, black and white, fantastic. I could see the windmill on top of the hill, and it did yeah, look like lightning striking. And yes, yes. In front of the blood red moon. Yeah, which is the only colour that I could see because it's all black and white and grainy. And yeah, it was just perfect. And I would love to, I would love to see this actually on a movie screen or TV screen. I would love to. Yeah. It was so good. And I want to also say how fantastic the audiobook was. It was narrated by yes. uh, Shauna Maguire, this one. Yes. And she she knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. She hit every single character brilliantly. Yeah. I like that there are sometimes there are different people that narrate her books and sometimes she does it and like it makes sense. You know, she oh, yeah. feels a really deep connection with Jack, so obviously she's gonna narrate Jack's book. Yeah. It was it was a hats off to it. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. Okay. Uh, is it time? It is. It is. Would you rather? <laughs> we asked on social medias. Would you rather animate the corpse of someone you love or a composite of multiple corpses? And unsurprisingly, Facebook, 86% are doing multiple corpses stuck together. Instagram's the same with 75%. However, TikTok are 50-50. It's very interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. We don't, unfortunately, have any comments from TikTok to explain the phenomena. But we no. do have quite a few from Facebook and one from Instagram. Colin on Facebook said, it's going to have to be multiple bodies for me. Bringing back a loved one is just asking for things to go horribly wrong and for them to go on at me eating rampage. I'd like to mix and match my reanimated corpses for maximum comedy as well. Legs, different lengths, arms, at least five of them. Heads, maybe. <laughs> I like that. And also, when Jack is going through the trunk of clothes at the beginning after Dr. Blake gets them down, she's like, some of these have three armholes. <laughs> so you know what's happened. It's happened at least once. You know Dr. Blake's had some fun. <laughs> yes. Bree on Facebook says multiple bodies is a whole new friend, like making a new person without the pesky birthing process. A loved one brings too many personal ethical dilemmas oh yes coral on facebook said i don't think i would like to see my loved one as the living dead plus seeing the dead with different body parts sounds interesting but all i can picture is an octopus as a person <laughs> 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 and which we all say yes 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 we love this thank you thank you coral <laughs> Katrina on Facebook says multiple potty parts as long as they are wearing clothes so you couldn't see the join lines. Oh, but it depends where the join lines are. Oh, yeah, How but... the stitching? You know, if you're wearing clothes, it doesn't matter. You could have terrible jagged stitching and no one would know. <laughs> Just get nice outfits. <laughs> Drew on Facebook said, I'm bringing a loved one back. I can fix them. <laughs> which is you know threatening <laughs> it is it is threatening was there anything wrong with them in the first place other than the fact that they're dead what are you fixing drew scares me <laughs> i can just picture her like doing an evil laugh too i think she would give it cat ears or something she probably would 
Crystal on Facebook said, as much as I would desperately want to bring my loved one back, I'd want to bring them back. Their personality, their body renewed without the ailments they had at the end of their life. I would not want to make a zombie of my loved one as they were when they passed. I don't think I'd want to see them like that again, and I want to still respect their memory. So, Frankenstein's monster it is. Maybe I'd make something wacky like a bird with arms. (laughs) And finally, Glimglam Jen on Instagram. Okay. I'm going to reanimate a corpse made of different bodies. You guessed it. I'm going to create a centaur. Why be a normal bipedal human when you can be half whole? (laughs) We've had at least three comments where people are making half human, half animal hybrids. And I'm loving it. (laughs) Yes, I love it. I love it so much. Then I just start thinking... Of the merlion again, going yes. all the way back to like one of our very first episodes together. I, I still have my gish play uh, doh merlion. I need to. Sale. I need to put that shirt back in the Redbubble store because it's oh. it's been out. It hasn't been available for a long time, and I need to just put it back up. So don't let me forget to do that, please. I, I, I have also convinced my child that um, the Singapore merlion is the wrong way around, and he agrees that it should be fish head lion body. That is the correct way around. Of course. Okay. So what are you doing? What's your answer to this question? Oh, I'm, I'm Frankenstein and monster it. I'm creating an... Which is, it sounds really weird. I'm creating an Adam when my brother's name is Adam, so I'm not bringing him back to life. Sorry, bro. Love you. Sure, no, but sure. Not, yeah. bringing, not bringing love back to life. But I will create my own... Uh, Frankenstein's monster. Yes. I might as well have fun I, with it. If I've got the skills, I might as well have fun with it. That's true. I feel like... I mean, we know from the book that, you know, if you bring someone back quickly, they'll they'll probably be fine. Like, Alexis was fine. Alexis was the same as she was before, but, you know, now the second time, are we even going to be able to bring her back at all? Or she could be a monster. Like, I don't think I'd want to take that chance. So, yeah, I'm going to create a weird, you know, multiple-legged, multiple-armed, multiple-eyeballed creature or something just for funsies. Just to be on the safe side. (laughs) Which, given how Frankenstein goes, that's not a safe side to be on. No, it's not. It's not. And, like, are you... Is your new body that you're creating going to take on characteristics from each of the pieces? You know, are you going to create something with multiple personalities? Where does the personality come from? Yeah. How? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to try it because it's science. Why not? Well, as long as you write it down, it's science. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next question. Would you rather live in fear of being murdered by everything or live with parents who give zero shits about you? Uh, I mean, if parents are rich like theirs are, it's tempting prospect. I will take my trust fund now, thank you. But... Giving zero shits? That's damaging. It is. I mean, living in fear of being murdered by everything is damaging. 
But on the moors, there's a very simple rule of just don't be out on the moors at night time. Don't bleed. Yeah. I think, you know, there's there's a certain, there's, there's rules to survival. Whereas living with parents who give zero shits about you, there are no rules to survival. It's just damaging. Yeah. So I think I'm going to yeah. live in fear of being murdered by everything. <laughs> or, or, live in fear of being murdered by everything, but actually I'm the one doing the murdering. There it is. If you're the murderer, you're not being murdered. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very respectable answer. It's not option C either. I'm taking the first one. I'm taking option A. Don't don't uh-huh. come at me with saying you're no just, Claire. There's no option C. I'm being you're just spicing a. it up a little bit. I'm just being the Lord of You're doing of science on it. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I'm yes. doing yes. science on yes. it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I feel like you would have some semblance of a life even if you're afraid of everything murdering you because like as long as you like you said as long as you you know follow the rules of not being out on the moors at nighttime bleeding there's there's a whole like plethora of things that you can do however if you have parents who don't give a shit about you and the only thing they want to do is make you into the person that they want you to be that's horrible so yeah of course i'm gonna go and live in fear of being murdered by everything every birthday get a weapon oh thank you yay a new weapon to add to my murder arsenal well just be friends with Dr. Bleak he'll bring you back if you get murdered yeah it's fine speaking of would you rather be under the master and be feared or under Dr. Bleak and be respected this is kind of a vampire versus mad scientist question it really is and I think in this, we are going against the grain, I think, because in this world, in in the Moors, I don't think I want to be a vampire. Unless I am, solid. no, if I am the master, then sure, I'll pick being the master. Because, yeah, everyone's afraid of him, but he's not... He's not that terrible. No. Sure, he, he drinks the food sauce. He does. He drinks someone every now and again, but he's not going out and ripping people's hearts out of their bodies right in the middle of town. Exactly. So if I were the master, then then yes, that's fine. But otherwise, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna hang out with Doctor Bleak. I'm the same. I agree. Doctor Bleak is. He's going to give you some skills. He'll teach you some skills. Yeah. And I'd rather be respected by the townsfolk than feared by the townsfolk. Because otherwise it kind of it kind of harkens back to the first question. Where if people are scared of you, they don't care about you. You yeah. don't have any community. And, you know, humans need community. Yes. But yeah. But we're not yeah. the master in this situation. And we can't twist these Mm-mm. ones to become the master. No, no, we can't. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather wear Jack's outfits or Jill's outfits? And I think that we should clarify is this before going to the Moors or after? 
Should we say the balls? Okay, I was going to say, which time are you wearing the frilly dresses? Um, Because I don't want to wear the frilly dresses. I don't want to wear the frilly frilly dresses. I want to be... I like Jack's style. It's in the malls. You know, I want trousers with pockets. Yes. That's that's my be all and end all. I want, you know... If I can have a nice shirt, and she's you know Jack seems to wear like nice cravats and stuff as well. Yeah, she's she's got a very. I had a like a mad scientist Genevieve from Miss Gale's books. Yes, um, I also kind of part. thought of Canel wearing his leather apron. Yes, if we could, well, help, I mean that's mother and son right there. Yeah. So yeah. if we can if we can do a mashup of Genevieve and Canel as Jack's outfits, perfect. Yes. Perfect. I love it. But we need a nice hat. Oh, yeah. We have to add a hat. Yes. Well, you have to because that's where your goggles go. But sure. when you have to put them over your face and then the lightning strikes and then you get yeah. a scream, it's alive, it's alive, even though that was never actually said in the book. Right. But, you know, we've all seen the movies. Yes. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Last question. Would you rather rescue your sibling or your lover? And why is it Alexis? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely picking the lover in this situation. Screw um, you, Jill. Screw you, Jill. Definitely. She did not deserve... She did not deserve that. I mean, I probably would have... I probably would have been so mad at her for killing... Alexis that I would have just straight up killed her right then and then we bring her back automatically and they're oh too bad already taken care of she can't become a vampire anymore because we reanimated her corpse so this is where we are now just skip that year of having to go away the mob will come with their pitchforks and their torches but you can be like look we solved the problem we solved it I, cut her I head would off. actually change that up a little bit. Let oh, yeah. the mob come with their pitchforks and their torches. And then you resurrect her. Who needs a new liver? Who needs some new eyeballs? Who Ooh, yeah. would like a new kidney? And use her for parts. Yeah. Because Jill yeah. does not deserve a second chance. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't think she does either. Ooh. She's dreadful. She's a brat. I freaking hated her. Hated her. I was yeah. so worried I was going to end this book and feel sympathy. Nope. I was so glad it Not was the exact one opposite. ounce of sympathy. No negative value sympathy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Favorite final thought quote. What are your what are your favorites from this book? Well, There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Leading on from talking about the pitchforks and torches, torches and pitchforks are the native trappings of the enraged. They appear without being asked for, and more there and the more there are, the deeper the danger. Oh, just you know, reaching over. Right, let's go. It's like Beauty and the Beast with Gaston leading the charge. Yes. Yes. Um, so this this one I like this one because 
No, I'm not. It, I, I no, I'm not going to. It doesn't make any sense if I explain that. I'll tell you later. Um, what's the point of having all these graveyards if I can't give you children when you ask for them? That is a good one. I am what I am, and there's much about me that won't be changed with any amount of wishing or wanting. Feel that hard. Yeah. Every choice feeds every choice that comes after, whether we want those choices or no. And there are a few more I would love to give, but I think I'll end up, you know, copyright infringement, so I'm just going to pass it over to you. Okay, okay. Oh, let's see, what do I pick? There are worlds of light and worlds of darkness, worlds of rhyme and worlds of reason, and worlds where the only thing that matters is the goodness in a hero's heart. The Moors are none of those things. <laughs> the Moors are yikes, everyone. They are. They are. We're choosing them <laughs> over one... our Republican family. <laughs> yes, we are. Yikes. I choose yikes over Republicans. <laughs> Don't you have some act of terrible butchery to commit? <laughs> She's not a vampire yet, they say, and yet is such a powerful, unforgiving word that there is no questioning its truth and no hiding from its promises. Mm. That's so good. It's so rich. It's got such a good mouthfeel. It was a, it was a book made with velvet words. It was, yes. Um, my last one is... The doors are the greatest scientific mystery our world has to offer. Did you truly think I wouldn't find a way to harness them? Duh. Duh. I'm a scientist. Idiot. Duh. <laughs> I can't imagine Dr. Bleak saying duh, but I feel like I feel like that's uh. duh. I feel like it's necessary that we say duh. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Dr. Bleak gives first class eye rolls. Mm, yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay, if you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? I'm going to suggest a book that I I finished yesterday, actually. Um, it was a gift of my darling husband for Christmas. He saw it and thought it would be good for me. And I did enjoy it. It was fun. It is not a YA. It is an adult book. Because there's a lot of penis talk. But um, it's Frankenstein. It's called Angelica Frankenstein Makes Her Match by Sally Thorne. So if you want something that's just a Sunday afternoon read that takes absolutely no thought at all and is nothing like this book other than that there's a Frankenstein element, it's it's fun. Um, so the summary blurb from the back of the book. For generations, every Frankenstein has found their true love and equal, unlocking lifetimes of blissful wedded adventure. Clever, pretty, and odd, Angelica Frankenstein has run out of suitors and fears she may become the exception to the family rule. When assisting her brother Victor's groundbreaking experiment to begin reassembling man back to life, she realises that having an agreeable gentleman convalescing in the great suite might be a chance to let a man to let a man get to know her for real. When her handsome scientific miracle sits up on the lab table, her hopes for an instant romantic connection are thrown into disarray. Her resurrected beau named Will for the moment, has total amnesia and is solely focused on uncovering his true identity. 
Trying to ignore their heart-pounding chemistry, Angelica reluctantly joins the investigation to his past, hoping it will bring him closer. But when a second suitor emerges to aid their quest, Angelica wonders if she was too hasty inventing a solution. Perhaps fate is not something that can be influenced in a laboratory, or is Will, or whatever his name is, her dream man tailored for her every way. It gets kind of weird because she does point out that she literally made him to her specifications and then turns around and says to him, I gave you the second largest penis in the collection. And you're like... (laughs) Which made me really uncomfortable at points thinking, necrophilia? But he's resurrected? But he wasn't? Yeah, but that's a dead penis. That's a dead penis, Claire. And I'll tell you what, his penis was not dead in this book. Great! (laughs) So yeah, it is. It is definitely adult fiction. Um, it is. If you want something completely brainless, something you do not have to worry about anything about deep feelings or emotions, you just want something mindless. Honestly, it was. It was a fun read. It really was. And what have you got? Which has got probably less penises and more gore. Probably, probably fewer penises in this one. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I have selected Marina by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. This one is an older book. It's been out for a while. Um, Here's the summary from Goodreads. 15-year-old Oscar Dry meets the strange Marina while he's exploring an old quarter of Barcelona. She leads Oscar to a cemetery where they watch a macabre ritual that occurs on the last Sunday of each month. At exactly 10 o'clock in the morning, a woman shrouded in a black velvet cloak descends from her carriage to place a single rose on an unmarked grave. When Oscar and Marina decide to follow her, they begin a journey that transports them to a forgotten post-war Barcelona, a world of aristocrats and actresses, inventors and tycoons, and reveals a dark secret that lies waiting in the mysterious labyrinth beneath the city streets. So I picked this one, obviously, because of the doorway things that are happening, but I'm pretty sure um, the summary... I read a little bit about this one before I went to find the summary, and I'm pretty sure there's, like, reanimated puppets that happen in this book, uh, too. So, uh, creepy. No, so, it's also uh, creepy. So, it's also creepy. <laughs> why would you do that? Uh, because I had why to ruin it for everyone. Why would do that? <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Typical. Sorry, not sorry. Creepy puppets. <laughs> Should we move on to New and Indie Spotlight so I can get that taste out of your mouth? Yes, please. I'm kind of like... (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. That was a visual thing, really. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Um, Okay, so the book I picked for New and Indie Spotlight is called The Book of Doors by Gareth Brown. And this one actually just comes out in a few days on February 13th. Sounds familiar. Cassie Andrews lives a quiet life in New York City working in a bookshop and chatting with its customers. When one of her favorites, a sweet old man, dies in front of her, she takes possession of the last book he was reading as a memento. Soon, she's accosted by a man named Drummond Fox, who informs her that the strange book is actually the Book of Doors, a magical relic that can turn any door into a magical portal. He informs Cassie that powerful collectors are hunting for the book and that he can protect it and her if she can learn to use it to transport them to a hidden library. But can she trust Drummond? 
And can she survive the dangerous, violent people hunting her without him? Do they have pitchforks and torches? It's hard to say. That, I've just done a quick Google of the book cover because it sounded very familiar and I, I've mm-hmm. seen it on social medias mm-hmm. and yeah, it looks really, really good. Um, it was, I think when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, we haven't had a library slash bookshop store theme for a couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah. Because yeah. always thinking about the future. Yes, always. Always. <laughs> oh, okay. Davey. Well, that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Belladonna by Adeline Grace. Look out for our Would You Rather polls and monthly challenges on social media. Don't forget about our book club on Discord. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, Threads, TikTok and YouTube at Fictional Hangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictional hangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.